Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is October 18, 2019, and it is, oh my gosh, it's Friday. Wow, we're getting closer and closer and closer to Halloween, and uh, we have a lot of treats for their tricks. Um, a lot of delays thrown in, a lot of uh, questions unanswered, a lot of um, blatant cover-ups for the left, and that's um, evident from the news cycles and what they are telling us or what they are pushing to tell us. It is it is pretty incredible uh, watching them trying to cover for others. I wanted to uh, let you guys know what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Brexit again today because it seems like not a lot of people are talking about that. Yesterday, Fox and Friends kind of mentioned it uh, without really getting into the nitty gritty. Uh, it was great that Nigel Farage uh, was actually um, discussed. That was great. Um, and I saw that. I, I think I should share that with you. Uh, we should talk about the rally yesterday, what the Democrats have been doing, how I told you Rick Perry is on his way out because he is the one that arranged that phone call with the Ukrainian president. So the question is, was that set up by us or was it something he set up? Also, I may or may not have confirmation that the notes and the transcripts, you know, of all this um, interrogation behind closed doors that the House has, um we may indeed have our own insider in there. Uh, it is pretty incredible, and it is exactly what we've been saying and why they're doing it behind closed doors. Uh, we're going to talk about Blackberries and servers being found and used and how, God bless General Flynn. That's all I have to say. He is going to bring it home for us. He's the one that is helping provide information where you can't have access to it because the mainstream media is blocking it. Also, we're going to discuss a piece that um, Millie Weaver, who I absolutely adore, uh, put together in regards to the Democrats. So, you know, we've been talking about Amalgamated Bank here together a lot. Um, I actually went on her show, talked about it a little bit. We had sound issues, but we did have a good discussion about it. And when she went to the Democratic debates, she noticed that the unions were funding. Um, well, the union signs were all over coaches that were busing people in for these debates to sit and fill the chairs. And again, I say this not so much to say, aha, I found where your piggy bank is. Aha, you borrow money. Aha, money laundering. Aha, you're the new BC. And no, that's not why I'm saying I'm saying it for every policeman, every fireman, every teacher, every single person that pays union dues in any job. This is your money they're using. They used your money to pay for these coaches. They are using your money as <laughs> as their own. You may wind up with absolutely zero pension from your union, zero savings, nothing. This is the biggest scam ever. So we'll talk about that too. It gets me so riled up when I see people getting taken advantage of like that by people that think they're smarter. Um, I also wanted to start first with this whole LeBron James thing. Now, 
Last year we were here talking about it. I've been writing about it uh, for many years. I actually, when I uh, did my internship at a PR firm, you know, I would always question those that ran the place, uh, those that were senior account executives. And I said, you know, when you align yourselves with political ideologies and you put that on their brand because you tell them that's what the people want or it's more social conscionable, whatever you want to call it, um, you're killing their market. You can't say we just work, you know, for this group of Americans or we just work for this nation. As someone who is a linguist and has experience in localization, which is pretty much how do you sell an idea? How do you sell a product? How do you push things or how do you infiltrate another nation's market? That's what localization is. And Knowing this, like the back of my hand, I, I see that many of the brands that we have here uh, only align with the nations that have that pocket social justice warrior group like England, who really believe in cow farts, who really believe in all this climate change stuff. Um, you know, they 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 believe that they're a democracy, totally not. Um, but then when you ally, uh, align your brand with just one group like social justice warriors, when you get pushed to speak about something that is completely contradicting to what you align yourself, like, I don't know, China, for example, like, why are you talking about politics? Why are you taking positions about politics? Because it totally kills your market. You won't be able to go, you know, and sell your sneakers or your food or your action figures in Brunei, which hates gays. You won't be able to, you know, go to China that has 20% of the world's population and sell your stuff. But, you know, fake swords. Listen, it's all great to, 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 to stand up for what you believe in, but business should be business. It should be neutral. If it is not neutral, you shoot yourself in the foot. Don't cry about it afterwards. Um, I wanted to start off with that first because it's more lighthearted. It's Friday. Let's kick it. I love Tucker. You know, I think he's so adorable. Seriously. Um, uh, and how he has, Dennis Rodman talking about this whole debacle. Take a listen. Socially conscious sports league, but neither one dares criticize their masters in China, and they don't want anyone else doing it either because they don't want to lose money. Dennis Rodman won five NBA championships with the Chicago Bulls and the Detroit Pistons, but after leaving the NBA, he's had something of a second career as an informal, informal diplomat. He's made multiple trips to North Korea where he's befriended the country's dictator. We just spoke with Rodman. Here's how it went. So when you see uh, LeBron James, and it's not just LeBron James, but NBA players and coaches unwilling to tell the truth about the Chinese dictatorship, what's your response to that? Well, I just look at it for us. Um, I think that uh, NBA is a great, uh, great sport. It's a great sport around the world. Yeah. I think that M- NBA players um, have an obligation to do one thing: is to play sports. Yeah. Um, I think. That, I think when you put politics with sport, it doesn't. It doesn't mix. I mean, well, I, agree uh, with I you think there. that. 
I do right there. I think that the fact that you know, when you when you put politics in sports, it seems to have a different twist on the game of of, of the uh, of the sports world. And um, basketball is a very very um, universal sport, and it speaks speaks volumes around the world. And I think uh, the players the players in in uh, in the NBA had no informants about what's going on in China or in Hong Kong. So right. I think that uh, they they was I think they was misinformed or they wasn't it wasn't known to them what was really was taking place right now at that right, right. I, I get it but they but they also have Google and and some of these guys are smart LeBron James is smart no one no one thinks he's dumb um, and LeBron James has spent you know years critiquing American politics he's got no problem attacking the government here but anyone who attacks the government there should be punished I mean he said that that seems like a double standard well, I just think that the, the culture in Hong Kong and in China, a very, very uh, great, great country uh, by that, I think they feed the, uh, the American people in America way. I think the fact that uh, um, a lot of people, that's uh, a force of culture in China and Hong Kong, it's very difficult to try to change that culture uh, overnight because uh-huh. they have a certain way of living and a certain way of thinking. I think the fact that if the NBA players, any players, any sport uh, that has anything to do with sports, if they understand the culture of, of the uh, Asian community and the Asian countries, I think they should understand the fact that they are very loyal. They're very loyal people. If they say yes, they mean yes. If they see, uh-huh. if they hear something that's very out of context, they take it in a wrong, they take it in a different direction and say, wait a minute, hold on, you know. Oh, okay. They, so, they so, but, let, 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 well, they okay, understand well, no. What, what, okay, but what if you had a country that was taking people, Muslims in this case, and putting them in concentration camps, or a country that was executing anyone who disagreed with the government and then selling their organs? Would it be okay if you were an American to say, I know it's a different culture, but, you know, that's kind of disgusting. Well, it is disgusting. I think the fact that, you know, that's, that's up to the, to the people in Washington, the, polit- uh, the politicians. I think, like I said, sports is sports. I think that uh, people that's playing sports, it's sports basketball. That's not their concern. I think you can voice your opinion in America, but once you start going across to over the Asia, China, the, the Singapore, Beijing, and those, those countries over there, it's a, different, it's a different way of living over there. You've got to be really careful what you say. Well, I know that. For the Chinese, but here in America, we're protected by this umbrella called the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and we can say whatever we want. So LeBron James goes into a meeting of you know, teammates and team owners and says anybody who criticizes China ought to be punished in the United States. What do you think of that? Well, I, I just think it's just difficult. I, I, like I said, politicians should understand the fact that, you know, don't involve people like us as far as athletes involved in, in politics. I think LeBron James is a very smart hin- uh, individual. I think he's very, uh, he's very caring about the people around the world and especially his charity he does around the world. But I think that, uh, you, you just got to understand that we don't know too much about politics. We don't want, I don't want to know too much about politics, okay, to be honest then, with you. Well, then, 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 then should LeBron James continue to comment on American politics? Well, you know what? It's, it's one of the great things about living in America. We got the freedom of speech. Except when we, we criticize China. Except well, when we I'm criticize China. That, and then LeBron says you have to be punished for that. But I'm saying the, the deal is that we have no right 
as American people to sit there and criticize China or any country in the world in that sense because you know why China is one of the countries where they really praise American people they love sports they love American people Hong Kong love American people China I mean uh, uh, Singapore Beijing Shanghai every Asian country where they love American people especially sports and I think if people as sports athletes understand that because they're very loyal to people as far as yeah. American people so I, I, th- I think that uh, LeBron James understand you know what keep let the politics be politics and let the basketball players be basketball players <laughs> well i hope he would he would live by that standard here too um, I'm not- okay so uh what we heard was lebron who we know was playing in north korea who understands the dynamic of asia from that perspective right but what you need to understand is is that they have caused this dichotomy um you know between uh, consumer bases that has backfired on them and of course the media is distracting us with all of that and telling us how you know that you shouldn't and we should be allowed to not i've said pretty much not so Kool-Aid wise what lebron said we have no business in other people's business I understand that at the end of the day, it is important that we, as human beings that have the capability, uh, reach our hand out and help those that are suffering. I agree. I completely agree. Though we have no business, uh, you know, to get ourselves involved, obviously, Tucker said something that I did not expect him to say, which is something that I've told you before. Enemies of such nations... We've seen this in communist Russia and in other communist nations and in other totalitarian regime nations. Political foes, criminals, are used for experimentation, organ donation. And then you have to wonder, like, what if I steal an orange and I have, you know, the same blood type because they ran it through the system as some big politician? Will they just sentence me to life in prison so they can harvest you know, my organ? That's a good question. And it's more, most likely, yes, uh, especially in regimes like that. That's why what we have to do is understand that every nation is different, just like every person is different. Because every nation, if you think of every nation as a person, they have their right to free speech too. It's ugly, it's messy, it's disgusting. But hey, that's what freedom is all about, right? The freedom to accept other people's freedom too to choose and you would say well most people in china don't choose well they can leave which is a good thing and that's something where all other nations that believe in the freedom of movement that believe in the freedom the innate freedoms that are given to us by god by the grace of god right um we would support that if chinese people aren't allowed to leave china or if people aren't allowed to leave venezuela you know, we're going to step in and that's where we put sanctions and that's where we force them to allow people to have that choice, at least that choice. Because from the beginning of time, even when there were just villages of like 10 people, if you didn't like where you lived or you didn't like your leader, you would leave um, to avoid conflict or death because under leaders like that, you don't get much of a say. Uh, so I know a lot of people will be like, well, they could protest, they could revolt, they can but that's usually bloody. And so in 2019, people take a different position. So that's all I wanted to say on that because consumer brands are coming under fire globally. 
And that's going to be coming to the forefront in 2020 because, as we could see, a lot of brands are now reporting substantial losses. I mean, Dick's Sporting Goods used to sell guns, and they used to make pretty good money off of it. Then they, like, destroyed the guns, and they stopped selling guns, and they took the social justice warrior, and they're literally closing down. So this is how uh, taking sides costs you uh, money. And when you're a big national or global brand, you have to be really, really careful. Now, before we get into the nitty gritty about blackberries that um, Durham has, uh, that I've been telling you about, that they've already received and already doing, um, we should just revisit um, what our president uh, said about what the Democrats are doing. And, you know, I have to say, saying that they're throwing a temper tantrum trying to undo the 2016 election is an understatement, right? Saying that is an understatement because it's not about just a temper. It's it's a struggle for power that they need and they want and they can't have anymore. This is a battle for their lives, for their livelihoods, and to respond to those that they answer to. Who are they? Who are they is the question that I've been saying many, many times. He dumbs it down really well because I don't think a lot of people can fathom the, I would say, how great and how deeply seated this evil is within not just our national government, but globally. Take a listen. Prospering. Our country is thriving and our nation is stronger than ever before. But the more America achieves, the more hateful and enraged these crazy Democrats become. You know, I really don't believe anymore that they love our country. I don't believe it. I think he likes that part. Right. Uh, 28 minutes now before the top of the hour. Uh, Stephanie Grisham uh, was there last night during uh, the fun. And I imagine it seemed like fun for just about everyone. We've had reporters there. And she joins us right now as White House Press Secretary among your many jobs. Uh, Stephanie, how hard was it for the president to turn the page on what he left in Washington and the chaos from the day before with the speaker uh, leaving the meeting along with uh, Senator Schumer? And go onto that stage and put that behind him. Okay, so we're not going to listen to her answer because we don't care. See, what we care about is the fact that he's in control. What we care about is that they are indeed throwing a temper tantrum. What we care about is our nation and how that is helping or not helping us. This is what we care about, right? Right, guys? That's what we care about. What is our president doing to help us? What is What has he done? And you know what I can't stand? Is that my president constantly has to toot his own accomplishments. He's the one that has to tell us, hey, we did this. Hey, we did that. Hey, we're doing this. Hey, we're do- we shouldn't be at that place. We shouldn't have our president reminding us of the great that he's done. 
The media should be doing that. We should be doing that. Obviously, we're going to translate that to the polls. Now, this morning, our president has been really, really busy um, tweeting, trolling like nobody's business, Vanessa Friedman, which is incredible. Uh, she uh, is the... Um, uh, New York Times director, critic for fashion. <laughs> He's retweeting everything she says, even though she wants to attack him. Uh, you know, she even, uh, we'll talk about that. But for, for now, what I wanted to do is kind of like hop through to where the president is telling us about the Ukraine. Hold on, let's see. He has immunity. Why would you have... Oh, that's a- Schiff. Yeah, he shouldn't have immunity. Here we go. Um, because it was perfect. There we go. So he made up a totally false conversation with the Ukrainian president. And we caught him cold. Everybody knew it anyway. See, we did one thing. You always have to do the unexpected. They never thought I'd release the conversation with the Ukrainian president. They never did. They thought he would keep it quiet because that's unprecedented that a president would release such information. And so they allowed him to do so. I want to get him before Congress and I want to see what he has to say. You know, they say he has immunity. Why would you have immunity for outright fraud? Why do you have immunity? Why? He's a fraud. We're fighting a campaign against leftists, socialists, and globalists who want to return to reckless wars, open borders, rampant crime, and totally disastrous one-way trade deals. We're changing that one around very quickly. They believe America is the world's piggy bank and that your tax dollars should subsidize the economy, military and defense of every other nation in the world but our own. Kind of like the bill they just passed where we're supposed to be funding protests in Hong Kong. It's not happening anymore. Our political opposition made its fortune selling out our nation and its citizens. And you know that's what's been happening. And that's why 2016 was so important. And that's why 2020, I can never say it's more important. But you know, it's like the roots of a tree. You plant a baby tree. It's got to catch. Get that extra time. We'll have more tax cuts. We'll have even, I'll tell you what, we have rebuilt our military. What we've done has never been done before. The do-nothing Democrats have betrayed our country, and that great betrayal is over. We are finally again, and we've been doing it now for almost three years. Can you believe we've been doing this for three years? Can you believe it? I've been a politician for three years. I can't believe that. I never thought I'd be called the politician. I don't like it, but it is what it is. But we're finally again putting America first. The radical Democrats want to destroy America as we know it. 
They want to indoctrinate our children and teach them that America is a sinful, wicked nation. You see that happening all the time. And I know it from personal experience. What they want to teach your kids, not good. They come home, mommy, daddy, this is what I learned. And you're going, oh, no, don't tell me. Let's get them in. That is so true. I do that all the time. And the thing is, they're public schools. They're using our tax dollars to indoctrinate our children. It's incredible. To another school fest. They want to disarm law-abiding citizens. They want to take your guns away. And they want to install far-left judges to shred our Constitution. It's not happening. They want to tear down symbols of faith and drive Christians and religious believers from the public square. They want to silence your voices on social media, and they want the government to censor, muzzle, and shut down conservative voices. You know that. Yeah, and apparently Twitter now won't allow us uh, to retweet, like, or share um, elected officials' uh, tweets that they find to be inflammatory or wrong. Uh, this is the time that we move platforms. This is where we force them to move. And the more we don't make that move, the more embedded we are and the more difficult it is. We can't you know, throw sanctions at Twitter, but we can hurt their wallet. And the only way we hurt it is by leaving because all they're doing is data mining. Every time you tweet, they mine your data. They see your patterns. Like I told you on January 1st on my episode, artificial intelligence is top of your list in priorities that's going to be coming to fruition at the end of this year. So you understand exactly why and how they are allowed to do this. It circles back to corporate. I'll see you all in just a bit after this break. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So this is the second half of the first hour. Uh, we were uh, listening to our president talk uh, at the rally and uh, what he had to say uh, weeks ago when this uh, Ukrainian thing came out. The president told us that it was Rick Perry that organized this meeting. He was like, I didn't want to like do this meeting, but Rick Perry was like, Oh, you should totally do a, a, a call with the president of the Ukraine. And it's like, did you set him up, Rick Perry? Mm-hmm. What do they have on you? And obviously, uh, Rick Perry is, uh, resigning. He resigned. Take a listen. Joins me in his first television interview back home in Texas. You're at the rally last night, sir, and good morning and thank you for your time today. I've got a lot to get through. Let's see how much. Good morning. Uh, you bet. Two and a half years on the job. Your departure had been rumored for the week, uh, for weeks rather. What does your departure <laughs> have to do with Ukraine, Mr. Secretary? Yeah, well, it has absolutely nothing to do with uh, Ukraine. It has everything to do with for the last eight or nine months. I have uh, I, I've been looking back to Texas on a pretty regular basis to uh, Round Top, Texas, my wife, my dogs and 
and, and kind of going on to the next adventure in life. And, and I, had, I had a number of things that I really wanted to get done before I departed and came back to Texas. Uh, working on the LNG projects to where we're bringing American gas into Europe was a big, big part of that. Making sure that we had the MOUs done with Poland, with Ukraine, all of that process going on in the rest of the European Union so that they weren't being held hostage by that Russian gas. Uh, we also had uh, back at home some issues with the uh, civil nuclear uh, and being able to make nuclear cool again, if you will. And so we'd really been working on that. Tomorrow I leave for Brussels. Uh, hitting the uh, small modular reactor uh, conference, the first of its kind ever done. And the, and the last, and, and frankly for me on a personal note, just one of the most important things I worked on was standing up an office from, from whole cloth on artificial intelligence. And that artificial intelligence technology office is now set up and ready to go. Well, to you from your military days, time as a governor, time in the White House, you got that okay? Hang on a second. We'll, we'll get this straightened out here in a moment. Here it is, live television. I'll say thank you for your service, sir. And if you've got me back here, I want to bring you back to Mick Mulvaney. I'm back with you, Bill. Uh, We're you. back on with did, audio now. Did his comments make things better or worse yesterday? I think he was straight up uh, with, with what he said. I, you know, I think there are people trying how? to connect dots. When the facts would... By, by basically saying that there was no quid pro quo in the sense of what those folks out there would like for it to be, that we're going to give you this money unless you go investigate uh, Joe Biden and his son. I never heard that said anywhere, anytime, in any conversation, Bill. And, and I think the, the, the truth of the matter is we've been working to get Ukraine back in the, the, in the sphere of influence of the United States and, and the Western states with American gas for two plus years when Poroshenko was over there. We met with him. We talked to him about you got to get rid of the corruption in this country. Everyone knows that the oligarchs and the people in that country were corrupt or too many of them were. Let me put it that way. And Zelensky ran on this. He said, you elect me and I will stop this corruption in the country. We had those conversations with him. Okay, let, let, no me try and, let me try and nail down a anyone. few points here. So you're saying the Biden's name did not come up in any of your discussions with Ukrainian officials, correct? Mm, That's never what you said. heard. Did, never did it come heard up the with Biden's your discussions name at, at one the White time. House? No, not with anyone. I'm telling you, Bill. The Biden's name. Did corruption come up? We heard corruption in almost every conversation that we had talking about Ukraine and whether or not President Zelensky was going to come over here because President Trump wasn't going to send um, American money to a country that had a history of being corrupt. And he was hammering that and we hammered that. I pushed on him a lot to make that phone call because I became convinced that Zelensky, the people around him, were legitimately trying to get rid of the corruption okay. and the, the get off the Russian the gas. The president said you pushed him to make the phone call with Zelensky. Do you agree with that characterization? Absolutely. I called multiple times and said, you know, whether it was to John Bolton, to whether it was Mick Mulvaney, uh, when I saw the president, I said, Mr. President, I think it's, a, it's time to make this phone call. I think bringing in... Uh, this president and and showing him that we're going to be good, reliable. They have to do some things. They have to show us they're going to respect the rule of law, that they're going to be transparent. They're going to unbundle their uh, midstream gas company. All of those things were part of him coming in. 
And I think that's completely and absolutely legitimate. That's what we're supposed to be doing, bringing the private sector in, uh, American companies, American gas, and showing Europe that you can count on us and you're not going to be held hostage by Russian well, gas. You said a week ago, Wall Street Journal, you were told to consult with Rudy Giuliani on matters with Ukraine. Were you okay with that? You know, I was. I've known Rudy since 2008. I endorsed him for president in 2008. It didn't strike you as odd or anything taken away from the State Department when you were told to do that? You know, here, you know, as 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 the governor of Texas, I use people outside of government all the time to give me information, flow me in from experts. You know, I respect the State Department, but I happen to know people in the energy industry that are smarter than the State Department folks. I didn't I didn't see a problem with that at all. Okay, you have a subpoena deadline as of today for documents uh, as they relate to uh, any involvement you had with Ukraine. Will you meet that deadline as of today? Yeah, um, our general counsel is taking a look at that right now, and um, when they uh, send their answer in at the at the end of the day, uh, whatever their decision will be, uh, I'll follow that. I'm not sure if that was a yes or a no. Do you have one now? Well, I don't I don't know if that's a yes or a no yet because I haven't seen what the general counsel's advice to me is going to be. Okay, Democrats are already asking you to testify. Will you do that? Again. I'm going to rely upon our general counsel to give me advice. You got to remember, I've 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 done this before when I was the governor of the state of Texas. Uh, I had a absolute and total trumped up deal that worked out against me, uh, and I, I'm going to do what the the council tells me to do. Okay. When you hear all this talk about immigration. Um um, whether it be uh, coming across the border in Texas and the president's plea last night about the wall. Uh, when you hear the discussion on Capitol Hill about impeachment, uh, wh- what do you think people are missing in the story? Because your answers today have been emphatic, that there was nothing behind the scenes that was untoward. So when you see this being carried out by House Democrats, how are we to understand where this is going? Well, I'm a big believer that we need to be doing trade and we need to be focused on it and, 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 and the uh, USMCA, uh, that needs to be passed. I mean, whether you're uh, a Canadian citizen, a Mexican citizen or a U.S. citizen, and, and that's being pushed to the side by this almost, you know, crazed idea that somehow or another this president's done something wrong and we're going to impeach him. What he's done wrong in a lot of people's eyes is he won an election and and for them to get us so far off track in what I consider to be a, a, a total and absolute improper uh, use. I mean, if they're going to do this, they need to at least follow the historic rules, and they're not. I mean, uh, th- listen, I, again, I go back to I got indicted as a sitting governor, and, it, and, and, and when it was all said and done, it was not only thrown out, my record was expunged. I had to spend a couple of million dollars defending it. But the point is, why are we letting our political process be so corrupted by the, the, the politics of, of trying to tear this country apart when the fact is we got a lot of great things that we could be doing? And we are, but we're being hamstrung because of this, you know, obvious, from my perspective, just politically generated uh, issue. Two last questions. 
Will they find any evidence of a crime based on your experience and your dealings with the West Wing of the White House in Ukraine, sir? No. How's your relationship with the president today? <laughs> it's awesome. He... <laughs> He never ceases to amaze me. I mean, I'm sitting there yesterday on Air Force One uh, watching multiple things happen. Uh, his chief of staff on uh, on television and, and right as that ends, the president's dealing with uh, a, a great story that, uh, unfortunately, I think got pushed off to the side because of all this other stuff, and that is finding the way to do a ceasefire in a part of the world uh, where multiple uh, administrations haven't been able to address that. Very unconventional way of doing diplomacy. I get that. But we're, I think we're making some great progress there, uh, headed in the right direction. And, and then to go do a major event where uh, in my home state of Texas, a thousand jobs are going to get created at a Louis Vuitton manufacturer. You didn't ever think you'd hear Texas... Uh, Louis Vuitton in the same Okay, so what is your takeaway? We had to listen to all of this. First of all, he got suckered. He got suckered into setting up this meeting with the president. He got suckered into positioning himself maybe willingly or unwillingly to play this political sham song. So this uh, you know, comes back whiplash to him. And this is why he's where he is, you know, and this is why he resigned. He did pretty well as energy secretary, but as someone uh, that you would think is smart, uh, you know, like I said, many people think they're smart, but there's usually someone smarter. And um, when you believe that you're super smart uh, and you believe no one can pull the wool over your eyes, uh, that's when you definitely get the wool pulled over your eyes. So um, just so that we understand where we're at in regards to this Ukrainian thing, it is so deranged, so shady that the media has come out full blast to cover them. Now, we all know uh, that, you know, when you're undercover, when you're really covert about your position somewhere, there's usually someone that you think is stupid, right? That's smarter than you. Um, you know, there was a, there's a saying. So a lot of people think that people that keep their mouth shut are very wise. Usually wise people will keep their mouth shut and just observe but that's the thing, because everyone believes this, when there's someone flapping their lips, fast, 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 uh, you know, they believe that they're dumb because they flap their lips, right? Someone who talks too much is constantly selling and has nothing um, worth for you to buy. That is the ultimate covering. Because at some point that person can talk, 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 talk. And, you know, you're not scared of someone that barks, 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 barks because they haven't bitten yet. You know, you're always scared of the dog that says nothing, that doesn't look, that hides or that, you know, is just there. Right. It's creepy. Right. What if a dog just stood there and didn't talk or never barked? You'd be, whoa. And then when you hear them bark, you're just like, whoa, they barked. Big deal. That's the premise that all of us think that those that are silent are the most dangerous. Well, what if you had a dog that barked, 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 never bit, you know, just kept barking. In those barks, some real stuff is coming out. 
and you're just not listening. And suddenly you get bitten in the butt and you're just like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Where did that come from? I didn't expect it. This is what happened to Rick, just so you know. Now, take a listen to MSNBC covering for a crime that needs to be investigated. When someone like Elijah Cummings, who God, may God forgive him, I pray for his soul. Gosh, I do. Because he was not a very good person here. I pray that he be forgiven. Um, he signed subpoenas directed to two U.S. immigration agencies hours before he passed away. He did not sign them. First of all, when you go to the dentist and you get medicine, pain medicine, they tell you you are not allowed to sign legal documents. You are not allowed to drive. You are not allowed to make any decisions. This guy is in hospice, obviously getting medications, and he's signing subpoena. According to the law, they're null and void, invalid, period. Take a listen to what MSNBC has to say. On this issue. And yesterday morning, yesterday, he, from his hospice bed, signed subpoenas to Trump administration officials to answer questions on this policy. Those subpoenas were signed by him in the hospice yesterday morning. The subpoenas were delivered and served to those officials yesterday afternoon. And then, of course, Congress... So he signed them before 2.30 in the morning die, before he died, supposedly at 2.30 in the morning. So he was on his deathbed and he was signing subpoenas. Totally not valid by the law. So that is a very big, big, big deal. Now, um, before we shift gears, I wanted to kind of like toot my own horn and, and, and just show you how corrupt government works on all levels. So I have been going after corrupt local government so much that I actually have to contact the federal authorities to come down on the state authorities to do their job. Well, I did something to put out that there's no transparency in, um, you know, no open records requests are being honored and they're obfuscating information, right? That the city of Minot is doing that. Well, today, the attorney general that loathes me uh, provided a decision saying, oh, you know, they weren't abiding by Open Records Act. They were really, really upset about that. It turns out they uh, credited the push from a supposed, you know, leftist paid by, you know, the crazy mainstream media that he did it when I've been complaining to the feds. So this is how they cover up when they have eyes on them from the federal government. Uh, they try to state that it was... um done differently. Uh, this was all about a retreat that they were having, how much it cost, where they went, what they did. And during this retreat, they didn't have any meeting notes. They didn't uh, allow the citizens to see what is going on. So, you know, for me, that's a problem. What have I said? Transparency is the most important thing ever. Um, and, you know, even useful tools, corrupt tools are useful. Right. Because here I got the guy that loves me to do exactly what I need. And he's going to need them <laughs> to cover his butt. But that's OK. Uh, you know, you got to do it because when the feds are involved, 
you can't, you know, hide from that, uh, cause it just adds to what they're, what they're looking at into you for. So I just thought I'd point it out. We're winning even when it seems that we're not. Uh, things happen even when we think that things aren't happening. Um, so I want you guys to know that because in the second hour, when we talk about Durham, something I told you in 2018 about Durham, right? Because Durham was mentioned in, you know, transcripts of Bakers from like way back then and nobody paid attention. I told you Durham was in Europe this spring, early spring, and he's been there. And I told you that Barr was in Italy just now. And you know what's awesome is that our general is going to deliver us the information we need for the justice that is being executed. Right? We need to remember that. Now, today, oddly enough and weirdly enough, uh, the Pentagon uh, gave uh, a presser about... Um, you know, what they've been doing, how they've been doing things. It was like a press briefing and it was really weird. I want to play a specific part. Um, take a listen to this. Just, just listen. So this is, this is something. <laughs> Listen. Threshold breach in the milestone C full rate production decision milestone of up to 13 months. Um, so what this is a result of, and I follow this very carefully, is the fact that we are not making as quick pr uh, progress on the joint simulation environment, integrating the F-35 into it. It is a critical portion of IOT&E. Um, we work closely with Dr. Beeler at DOT&E. They're making excellent progress out on the range with the F-35, but we need to do the work in the joint simulation environment. We have um, collectively um, decided that we need to get the JSE absolutely correct before we proceed. Um, so I'm going to make some decisions about when that full rate production decision will be made shortly, and I'll get back on that. In English, though, the, the 13 month deviation means the full rate production decision won't happen in December, but could happen in December of next year or January of 2021. Potentially. Potentially, yes. So I will not um, be making that decision in December. That being said, we're moving forward with the program. The aircraft are performing exceptionally well, and we're very excited about the progress. So it does not change what we're doing on the production line, what we're doing in terms of development or sustainment. Ah, so the F-35s. So their simulation systems are not working well. The production is going, but we don't know how it's going to move forward on this. Um, how does this work, guys? NATO is one thing. Will we remain in NATO? Delays are delays for a reason. Dragging our feet is for a reason. These are little things we need to look at. Um Kind of like sanctions. When we talked about sanctions, uh, you know, oh, they put sanctions. Well, aside from sanctions, our president also signed an executive order in relations to Turkey, and nobody talked about it. And it was really, really interesting because um, I'm retweeting the article right now. This executive order gives full power to... Uh, our secretary, Mnuchin, right, to implement it 
on any person that may be a former or current official of the government of Turkey to be any subdivision agency or instrumental or instrumentality of the government of Turkey. And all property and interests uh, in property that are in the United States that hereafter come within the United States or that are or hereafter come within the possession or control of any United States person of the following persons are blocked and may not be transferred, paid, exported, withdrawn, and otherwise dealt in. So this is something that I want you guys to sit on, uh, you know, while I introduce this to you over the break. So on October 20, on October 14th, he signed this executive order, executive order 13894, meaning that he confiscates any property of anyone that used to be a current or former official of the government of Turkey or has worked for any agency or subdivision or is an instrumental tool for the government of Turkey. Now, I want to tell you something about the coup. Remember the coup in 2016? Remember how uh, Erdogan said that it was Gulen that did this and you know how he did it? Have you ever heard of the myth that all McDonald's locations around the planet are activated into U.S. military uh, covert points uh, to infiltrate whatever government, their, whatever nation they're in uh, at a time of tension or war, that we have CIA guys working in McDonald's, uh, you know, in every country, and it's just an instant to activate and create uh, a new base. Yeah, well... This actually is a an actual tactic. See, Gulen uh, had these school, the Fado schools, and in there he had his own operatives working. And it is through those schools within Turkey where his operatives began, uh, you know, at launch the coup. So what Erdogan did right after this almost successful coup where so many people died and so many people were injured and people ran away and fled Turkey, right? He created a specific division in his government to take over these schools. He created a nonprofit that is a nonprofit, but it's state-backed, so it's backed by the government of Turkey, to purchase all the FATO schools and create more. So you know this Turkish-backed Islam education system is now in 33 nations. In Afghanistan, they've claimed that these are radicalizing young people. They're taking people that are out on the street that are orphans, and they're putting them in this boarding school and training them with the best. They're giving them the best education in math and sciences in religion in the Quran in their native language in Arabic as well because not everyone speaks Arabic right Afghanis speak Pashto uh, you know but the religion of Islam is in Arabic so they learn it this foundation you know was created by the government of Turkey and it operates globally and guess what it also operates within the United States of America. We'll get to that right after this break. I'll see you all in a bit.
real news. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to the Tori Says Show. This is the second hour of this um, uh, show, and it's Friday, and we have a lot of juicy stuff to leave you with. Um, so first of all, I left you with this executive order, which is incredible, okay? Our president has done a lot for it. Now, uh, this foundation, like I discussed in the first hour, is um, a Turkish state. Three years ago, President Erdogan established this nonprofit arm that is actually part of the Turkish Ministry of Education, and it sponsors schools worldwide. Uh, in the United States, this foundation, which is called the Marif Foundation, and I've mentioned it months ago um, here on air many, many times because I've been looking into this for a very long time, uh, there's actually a school in New Jersey that is actually called the Ma'arif School of the United States of America. It's in Bloomfield. Um, and I just wanted to tell you, uh, these schools operate in Afghanistan, the Ivory Coast, Somalia, Congo, Chad, Nigeria, Niger, Burkina Faso, Mali, you know, all the countries that Ilhan Omar recently visited, Djibouti, Pakistan, Colombia, you name it, they've got schools. Here's the thing. This nonprofit, right, actually was just recently created. Um, <laughs> it's so crazy. Um, right after the elections. So here are the teachers that are there. They have a professor, Asan, and she used to be the vice president of the Parliamentary Assembly of the Mediterranean, a member of the Turkish delegation of the Parliamentary Union of the Organization of Islamic Conference. She was also the vice chairman of R&D for the Department of Justice and Development Party. She was also appointed deputy minister of family and school policies between 2011 and 2014. So that's one teacher. Another teacher was uh, served as the Minister of Family and Social Policy in the 63rd election government, which was established on August 28, 2015. After the establishment of the 64th government, she was appointed Chief Advisor to the Presidency. Who was that? Ooh, that was Erdogan. Okay, so then we go to the next professor. It's all on their website, too, you guys. Uh, he served as a parliamentary member for the city of Korum. Uh, he is actually part of the um, planning and budget commission of developing Turkish, you know, um, implementing Turkish, uh, I would say, initiatives in, like, China, in Moldova, um in Burkina Faso, he was the group of the board of directors for the head of Burkina Faso. Remember that country that uh, Barack Hussein Obama's mommy helped create when they destroyed Upper Volta and redrew borders for Mali and the rest of them? You know, the one that, uh, you know, uh, Ilhan Omar, that nation where she was at when she signed her divorce uh, on her birthday, on her alleged birthday. Yeah, that one. He was also vice chairman of the Social Affairs, Economic Affairs and R&D advisory board of the AK party. You mean Erdogan's party. And in 2016, he was appointed uh, 
as chief advisor to the prime minister, not ministry, prime minister. Uh, they've put ministry. Now they have this other guy named Behram Turan who has a picture that looks way too young to be him, uh, cause he was born in 1959 and he doesn't look a day over, you know, 40. Um, he actually got a Turkish government scholarship and studied in the United States. Now the principal is also a Turkish government official. She, at the general elections in 27, in 2007, was Ankara's member of the Turkish Grand National Assembly. She served as vice president of the Parliamentary Assembly of the Mediterranean, again, just like the other person that's there. Seems like all of them are there. Vice chairman of research and development of the ruling Justice and Development Party, just like the other one, and deputy minister of financial policies. Now, here's the thing. These people filed their first tax form after they got awarded, right? For a school that is funded and operated by the Turkish government, you would expect them on their tax filings to answer questions like, did the organization maintain an office, employees, or agents outside of the United States? Of course they did. Because their charter comes from Turkey and the money they have comes from Turkey. And these people are also holding positions in Turkey. Another question they should have answered yes to is, did the organization report a part nine, column A, line three, more than 5,000 of aggregate grants or other assistance to or for foreign individuals? Yes, all of them. So these are things that haven't been asked. And, and, and here's, here's the deal. Turkey, we, we indicted Turkey the next day on Monday. So this is the executive order was signed on Monday, Tuesday, October 15th. We, um, unsealed an indictment where the Turkish bank, um, Halkbank, um, is now, uh, you know, under investigation by the Department of Justice for money laundering, for aiding Iran in moving money. And obviously, as a Turkish arm of the government, this school also uses Halkanbak. So, um, when I posted my article yesterday on lauraloomer.us saying, oh, you know, why isn't Secretary Mugin like kind of like implementing this EO in, in, in New Jersey? It was more to direct attention. One, we have this EO. Two, oh my gosh, we have a school with a bunch of Turkish officials. And three, it educates you to see exactly why uh, Turkey wants that northeastern portion. Northeast Syria has one of the biggest oil and gas field uh, aggregation in Syria. Okay. And, um, I put a picture, uh, in that article that shows you the natural gas pipelines and oil gas pipelines. And you'll see that the oil gas pipelines and the natural gas pipelines all lead to Tartus, which is where, what did I tell you? The largest Russian naval base in the Mediterranean. And, it is an export area. This is where all the oil and gas goes, and then it gets exported, and Russia buys it too. And so remember when we said that the Democrats and all these corrupt people had a plan, what was their plan, to get all these nations uh, like Syria, uh, Lebanon, uh, uh, um, Libya, all of them on board so they can pump the oil through Turkey to get to the EU. You know, that's the way it is. And Barack Hussein Obama, to appease Turkey, right, armed ISIS. He created ISIS. And ISIS, as they were armed, radicalized, radicalized Kurds. Look, 
the Kurds or the um, actual establishment of Kurdistan is is deeply, uh, you know, noted. I mean, throughout history, their land is documented in Sumerian tablets. So it's not like they don't have any. And it's kind of like the Israelis. They didn't have any land until the end of World War II. They didn't have any boundaries. They weren't provided anything until the end of World War II. Maybe Kurdistan will come after this world war. It's a very civil one. And I, and, and it's in the Eastern Mediterranean. People aren't paying attention, but it's happening. Um, I have to tell you that you know, Barack Hussein Obama's administration tried to annihilate Syria more so aggressively and ha- com- having a complete disregard of 500,000 and somewhat people um, that paid for their lives in an attempt to just steal the oil and, uh, you know, give it to Turkey. And all- more so because Russia has a footprint in the Middle East, doesn't need a footprint. They have a massive footprint. Huge. So what he did was try to make it go faster. And if you guys actually look, John Kerry tried to strike a deal with the Kurds and the Syrians and, you know, Russia before and failed, you know, failed. Why? Because they knew exactly what was going on. And if you go to that article, you'll see that this war was never about ISIS. We created ISIS in order to collapse Syria, but Russia and Syria were underestimated also. The Kurds were underestimated. They just assume that they could, you know, pretty much um, take advantage of this deep-seated hate that they have with the Syrians for not giving them land, that they would be able to win the war really easily. So that is a very, very big deal. Very big deal. So... Um, one thing we need to remember is that this whole thing happened, right? This whole thing happened thanks to Barack Hussein Obama. This whole animosity, these deaths happened because of him. And it was all about uh, trying to weaken Russia's position, trying to gain oil and gas, and to gra- get a strong foothold for the global union in the future. And Turkey, like I said, holds the keys to the kingdom. They were, uh, you know, bowing down to them. And this is why the European Union hasn't done anything while they're, you know, attacking and uh, the Syrians, while they're imposing themselves into other governments uh, that's exactly um, what is happening. And this is a situation with us pulling out. It allows it to come to the surface for people to see it for what it really is. <coughs> Pardon me. Now, there were reports, and I'm going to play this, that there is uh, gunfire in a Syrian town after uh, the ceasefire. Take a listen to this report. Denied reports of clashes in northern Syria. That's after the United States and Turkey agreed to a ceasefire. But there were clear sounds of gunfire near the border today. The deal was meant to end the bloodshed caused by Turkey's offensive, which was triggered by Donald Trump removing U.S. troops from the region. After five hours of talks in Ankara, U.S. Vice President Mike Pence brokered a deal with Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. They agreed to a five-day ceasefire in the Turkish assault on northern Syria. During that time, American forces will help Kurdish militia pull out of the conflict area. 
That wins Turkey control of the so-called safe zone it wants to establish in Syria. Part of our understanding is that with the implementation of the ceasefire, uh, the United States will not impose any further sanctions uh, on Turkey. And once a permanent ceasefire is in effect, uh, the president has agreed to withdraw the economic sanctions that were imposed this last Monday. Kurdish troops who were once allied with the U.S. in the fight against IS have said they will abide by the timing of the truce, but it appears the U.S. and Turkey have slightly different views on the deal. Turkey's foreign minister insists it's not a ceasefire and that they only agreed to a pause in fighting, calling the Kurds terrorists. PKK YPG'nin 120 saat içinde güvenli bölgeden çıkması için barış pınarı operasyonuna ara vereceğiz. Durdurma değil, ara vereceğiz. Bu bir ateşkes değildir. Ateşkes ancak iki meşru taraf arasında yapılır. Biz Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me just, let me tell you what he's saying, okay? Because this is incredible, because this is what he said. We will pause Operation Peace Spring in order to allow for the withdrawal of PKK YPG forces from the safe zone for 120 hours. Not a ceasefire. We are pausing. We are only pausing. This is not a ceasefire. Ceasefires can only been done between two legitimate sides. We're only pausing the operation. Listen to this. So he is saying we are pausing our operation. We're not doing a ceasefire because in order for it to be a ceasefire, we have to recognize that the PKK are real people or they're a real legitimate side. Are you listening to this? This is important. He's, um, also saying that uh, the the pausing of this operation is to allow uh, the terrorist groups, which are targets of this operation, to withdraw from the safe zone. So now he's saying, oh, we're pausing so the terrorists leave from the safe zone. What? This is how dictatorship works, guys. This is how it works. On the ground, the apparent truce has had little effect. Shelling and gunfire resounded near the border today, and plumes of smoke were seen around Syria's Ras al-Ain town, a focal point in the conflict. The week-old Turkish offensive has created a new humanitarian crisis in Syria. More than 500 people, including dozens of civilians, have been killed, and some 300,000 people have also been displaced from their homes, forced to flee the violence. For the latest, our correspondent Simon Marks joins us live from Washington, D.C. Simon, fighting appears to be ongoing in northern Syria. Does the ceasefire deal hold any weight? You know, Steve, from the Trump administration's perspective, whether or not the ceasefire deal holds weight, whether or not it is observed by both sides, uh, I mean, that may really be a secondary question here. Pre Okay, so let's just see what the president said. He said, uh, this morning, about an hour ago, he said, I just spoke to President Erdogan of Turkey. He told me there was a minor uh, sniper and mortar fire. It was quickly eliminated. He very much wants the ceasefire or pause to work. Likewise, the Kurds want it. And the ultimate solution to happen, and, and the ultimate solution to happen. Too bad there wasn't this thinking years ago. Instead, it was always held together with very weak band-aids and in an artificial manner. Uh, there is goodwill on both sides and a really good chance for success. 
The U.S. has secured the oil and the ISIS fighters are double secured by Kurds and Turkey. I have just been notified that some European nations now are willing for the first time to take ISIS fighters that came from their nations. This is good news, but should have been done after we captured them. Anyway, big uh, progress is being made. Now, Erdogan tweeted, Mr. President, many more lives will be saved when we defeat terrorism, which is humanity's arch enemy. I am confident that this joint effort will promote peace and stability in our region. He, our president retweeted it and said, defeat terrorism. <laughs> Retweeting someone that is acting like a terrorist. So this is uh, very important for you guys to understand, uh, because John Kerry had attempted to do this in 2016 before the elections and failed. Actually, they were working with Russia because Russia was the problem. Russia was defending them. Russia was helping them. And again, it's because Russia has an agreement with Syria. So, you know, a lot of people say, well, why would the Kurds do this? Well, the Kurds want to get out of the air quote safe zone. You mean the occupied territory of Turkey, which they want to call the safe zone. Um, and they want to get out because they struck a deal with Syria. And I'm pretty sure that deal is providing them borders. And Russia's temperament, remember, Russia deals with Turkey. Remember, Russia sold Turkey S-400 uh, missiles, uh, missile, anti-missile defense systems, right? And they made that choice and got themselves out of the F-35 program, remember? So these are big moves that people aren't putting together. Russia is doing business. And when you're going to mess with Russia's business in regards to oil and gas and the cooperation they have and their only naval base in the Mediterranean, you better believe, I don't care how much stuff you bought off of them, they're going to whiplash you back. That's the way it goes. Now, the EU has stepped in only because they have to. They're being forced to because they're the ones that are parading, you know, uh, Turkey as a, um, how, how should I say it? Um, a nation that the European Union should be doing business with. Now, um, I'm going to play a little bit of Fox and Friends where they talk about the U.K. agrees to Brexit deal with EU. Take a listen. Uh, let's take a look. Uh, breaking news this morning. The United Kingdom and the EU have agreed to a new divorce deal in a key Brexit breakthrough. Boris Johnson, prime minister of the U.K., said this. We've got a great new deal that takes back control. Now Parliament should get Brexit done on Saturday so we can move on to other priorities like the cost of living, the National Health Service, violent crime, and our environment. So, so it seems like even England has a problem with liberals. But, but, do not trust Boris Johnson. See, Boris Johnson is doing his job. He's doing what he needs to do. But mm, kind of like our energy secretary. Let's remember that. We're going to revisit that in 2020, okay? Uh, we're going to revisit this in April of 2020, okay? about Boris Johnson. Let's remember that. April 2020, you could write that down. We're going to be talking about Boris Johnson. So let's take a listen to what they say. 
Richard Varney joins us right now, live. Of course, he's the host of Varney & Company over on Fox Business. What does this all mean, Stuart? Oh, it has great meaning for the Brits, for Europe, and also, most importantly, for the United States. Let's go through this. Okay. They've got this draft Brexit deal that gets the Brits out of the European Union. A top European official says it's a fair and balanced agreement. How about that? I like Interesting that. phrase, I would say. Now, it then <laughs> where goes... Where did they get that? <laughs> yeah, where did they get that? Um, who says fair and balanced, you guys? Oh, is it CNN? Yeah, totally is. Uh, it goes to the European Parliament on Saturday, and this deal is likely to be approved. Then it goes to the British Parliament, where approval is not so certain, because there are some parties which don't agree with the So the EU the is here. okay with them getting out, but it's the actual on Parliament. On those terms, right yes. Now. It's the British Parliament, which is the last sticking point. And I don't know how that, that vote will go. But let's bring this one home here. The importance of this Brexit deal, if it goes through, is that we, America, will now have the opportunity to create this extraordinarily good trade deal with the Brits. Yeah, we need the crown. They've got a lot of fingers and a lot of pies. But take a listen to what, um, you know, liberal Democrat Umuna says. I want to ask you how you frame the choice that you and other MPs are going to have to make tomorrow. Do you frame this as a choice between a deal and no deal? Or you, do you frame this as a choice between a deal and an extension? I think it is definitely between a deal and an extension. Uh, the Prime Minister, the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, talks about getting Brexit done. But with his proposals, the only thing that will get done is the British people. The British people will be done over by his set of proposals, which, according to the UK government's own economic impact assessments, will lead to a 6.4% drop in real wages, a 6.7% drop in GDP. And just to put that into context for your viewers, that is not dissimilar from the negative economic impact of the global financial crash. Another important thing to note, by the way, Anna, you talked about a deal. This isn't a deal. It is a withdrawal agreement that deals with the divorce bill of £39 billion or so, EU and UK citizens' rights to move around each other's territories. It tries to move towards resolving the Irish border issue, but what it importantly does not include is a legally binding trade deal. That will be negotiated in the years that follow. So investors, market makers watching this programme who think that this withdrawal agreement the Prime Minister has put down will create certainty, actually we're going to continue to see a good few more years of uncertainty continuing. And the only way to really stop that is by stopping Brexit, which is what the Liberal Democrats are proposing. Right, but he has, but Boris Johnson and, uh, and team have, uh, to get this over the line, had to commit to uh, sticking to some EU rules around state aid, competition, employment standards, environment, relevant tax matters. Now, that does seem to be just in the uh, political declaration rather than the withdrawal agreement, but perhaps he is setting that path in a direction that you hadn't expected. No, because don't forget the transition agreement um, where these kind of, it's described as a standstill. So just for a short period after withdrawal agreement, the UK would abide by EU rules in the main. That will only be until the end of next year. And that's the thing is all this really does is extend the gangplank, but it's a gangplank to nowhere because at the moment, after December 2020, there is no trade deal. So we could be, we will be, if we're in that situation, faced with the same scenario that we are 
are now in. So all the reasons why people are putting off investment decisions or indeed making investment decisions based on UK not having a trade agreement with the EU, all of that is just going to happen again this time next year. So it really doesn't solve anything whatsoever about the future of the UK economy. And yeah, that's what they do. They fear you with trade. They did that to George Washington, too. But believe it or not, Nigel Farage actually slammed the Brexit deal because it wasn't as good as they portrayed. Take a listen. Europeans, as in the European Union, they've agreed to a Brexit deal. It's a draft agreement. Got that? Nigel Farage is the leader of the Brexit party, and he joins us now. Nigel, why are you saying that Parliament should reject this deal? Why? It's not a new deal, Stuart. It's Mrs. May brought this, this new EU treaty, not a deal, but a treaty, back to us a year ago. Our Parliament quite rightly rejected it three times. What Boris has now done is to amend it, get some changes, to put lipstick on the pig. There are some things that are better about it, some things that are worse about it. And yes, I'd love us to be free to have an all-encompassing trade deal with the USA, something the Trump administration are very, very keen on. Let me promise you, if what Boris is negotiating today goes through, it will be at least 2022 or 2023 before there's any trade deal with the USA. We, we will be trapped forever under this agreement okay. with okay. environmental environmental laws, uh, with employment laws, even taxation is mentioned here. So Yes, this is why I said we have to be careful because the Queen mentioned that. Remember when we played the Queen's speech? I was like, great, we're throwing in social justice warriors and taxation. So we're, what, brokering a deal? They're brokering a deal for what? Paying them taxes in perpetuity? doesn't sound fair, does it? Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So this is the last half hour. I just want you to understand the reason why I said that, um, you know, we can't trust Boris is because, you know, he can't do anything. They're not free. The Queen told us in her speech what is allowed to happen, who is going to be doing this, how it's going to be done. That's the way it is. And I, she said it. She said, we're going to have taxes. She said, we're going to have social justice warrior, uh, you know, Green New Deal uh, BS. And that's because they're a monarchy. <laughs> she created the EU. She, it was It was their brainchild. And she's pulling out of it for the eyes of the world, yet they're not. And like Nigel Farage said, they are no, they are not free. Which means that this deal can affect the trade deals we do with them. Why? Because two things. One, the EU will dictate that. Two, the EU will dictate that. That's all. It's the main reason. The EU is dictating what taxes, what economic, you know, stuff they can put out, um, you know, things like that. So it's important for people to understand this. It is very important for people to understand this. So, 
the uh, facade that they're doing something uh, is um, is pretty incredible. It's all a pony show, guys. All a pony show. Now, before we get into blackberries and I drop some really serious stuff, I wanted you guys to listen. You know, uh, to uh, Millie Weaver. She actually put together a report. Like I told you, she was at the Dem debates, and I want to play a bit of her videos because she documented exactly what happened. Uh, we had an interview together where we talked about Amalgamated Bank, where I told you this is the piggy bank of uh, the Democrats. They have been lending them money, but now we have the evidence that they're the ones even paying for the buses. So you have to think about it. Is the DNC Amalgamated Bank? Is Amalgamated Bank your union dollars? Is And think of it this way. Does that mean that union fees and funds are in fact running our nation. You know, think about it for a second. Susan, which candidate are you going to be supporting? That's Susan Sheridan, by the way. Why is she there? She's like third rate, whatever. Sanders all the way. The only candidate that really is going to make systemic change. So you're okay with socialism in America? Sorry, what? You're okay with socialism and communism in America? I'm okay with people having a decent wage, with having health care, with no and its or buts, for saving the planet. And he's the one that has the most comprehensive of all of those things. So crazy. Where'd they go? Where'd they go? We actually have to catch a bus now, but thank you for covering this issue. It's really important. I've been reporting since 2016 about how the Democrats would bus in protesters and even supporters to their rallies. In single file, they'd all come marching out of their buses. The buses will pick them up or drop them off, and then they'll go march around or they'll go to the rally and then scoop them right back up. And I would guarantee a lot of these protesters probably aren't even from this area in Ohio that we're at right now in Westerville. And this is just the Democrats' playbook right now. Uh, the real question is, is who's paying for this? Who's paying for all these bust-in protesters? SEIU will take ownership of Amalgamated Bank, the nation's only labor-owned bank. Amalgamated Bank? They do something called political investment banking. What if the left had its own too-big-to-fail financial institution? We could really do something. So if this bank is lending money to a bunch of politicians to run and they lose who pays it back so the question that we've put before ourselves at the amalgamated is well what can we do as a bank and as we've thought about that we thought well what do we do that actually contributes value um, to to society more generally and at large and that's what we do with the deposits that all of you put in our institution and when we lend them out how do we actually make impactful loans that actually make a contribution to society wait a minute they lend out that money so he literally is telling union uh, contributors you give us your money and we lend that out to where we think it'll make better impact right this bank is 40 percent owned and almost all of its assets that it has are, guess what, labor union investment funds. 
So it's like the teachers that are working and paying dues, the electricians, the firemen, all their money is in this bank. I mean, and they're investing it. Do unions support Trump supporters? No. We do not support Trump at all. Do you support Trump supporters? Can Trump supporters be in the union? Is it no, they don't support Trump or Trump supporters. Does the union uh, allow for Trump supporters to be in it? No. Any Trump supporters? No. no. Not, not not one? Not one in this union. And this is a Democrat arm. They literally say it. Their clients are the DNC, Barack Hussein Obama, Obama for America, Hillary for America. Get ready for Hillary. A DCCC. It looks like the FDIC actually did file something against Amalgamated Bank. This is a lawsuit from the FDIC uh, against Amalgamated Bank here. And it, it says in this that uh, in their own lawsuit that they basically got busted for giving too many loans and not collecting and not reporting delinquent accounts. So, I mean, it's not like we're just saying this about some bank that's been in perfect standing. It looks like the FDIC has already been investigating them for this, this type of activity. And let's remember, when they got busted for that, it was our Secretary of Commerce right now that bailed them out. And listen, he is our Secretary of Commerce right now, and he owns 20% of that bank. That means that our own Secretary of Commerce funds these protests, funds these buses. Get it? That's the next article I'll be drafting up, and maybe I should dig into that a little bit more. Regardless if he's just an investor, he should have removed that investment off his back when he accepted the position as Secretary of Commerce. That is the bottom line. that we're seeing here. The reason this was kicked off, Amalgamated Bank was the bank of occupied Wall Street. They literally funded it, and they were the bank that was taking donations to fund Occupy Wall Street. So because that happened, people started asking questions. So they were funding the political protest movement, Occupy Wall Street. Correct. Now, didn't you say this bank also is connected with George Soros? Yes. Mm, yes. Interesting. So George Soros also banks at this bank? Correct. And, fund and he also yeah. funded, Ocu this bank also helped fund Occupy Wall Street? And Black Lives Matters and, Black and Lives Matter. so many other organizations. Anything that's democratic, they go for. Wow, and so that kind of, in a way, vindicates Alex Jones once again. <laughs> it vindicates him more and more. I mean, for a while he's been saying uh, that these these protests have been being funded, right? These aren't just grassroots things where everyone just goes out there. They're getting money from banks, that was like the entire protest march of union workers that we just saw. The entire protest march of union workers was carried into town on these buses. You can see some of them with their yellow vests sitting there. Protesters. There they are. Amazing. 
paint this anti-Trump narrative. It's really funny. I mean, I wonder who paid for it. I can tell you who paid for it. Our teachers, our police officers, our firemen, our factory workers, our nuclear waste workers, all those hard-working people of America that believe that their union dues protect them and that believe that they will have a better pension from their union. You know, city workers, state workers, federal workers, guys, <laughs> amalgamated bank is the Democratic Party, is the deep state piggy bank, period. Again, why did our Secretary of Commerce not shell out and remove and get rid of his 20% stake in those that fund these protests? That is a question every single person should be asking. Why? How is this happening? Why is this happening? (laughs) Right? Why is this even happening? How? How are we allowing this to perpetuate and go on and say nothing about it. Why? And that's the key question. And I'll hopefully have a good answer uh, about that coming soon. Now, um, we saw that Erdogan, I just wanted to make an honorable mention before we jump into the Blackberries, Italy, uh, the FISA uh, IG report, because it all ties into this Brexit too, just so you know. And I'm really hoping that Parliament really puts their foot down, uh, you know, because they are they're pretty much enslaved by the EU. But, you know, in actual fact, I mean, uh, it's such a hot mess. Like, how are they going to fix this? They created the EU. The United Kingdom did. The Queen said so. They can't fix it. But they're trying to create some form of appeasement toward the United States to redact uh, their information. And you know what? Why redact it? Just drop it. Let them know. Drop it. Now, um, in regards to Turkey, one last uh, thing. Matt Gates clearly is on the pulse of this. He retweeted Erdogan and said, you're not conducting this campaign to defeat terrorism. You're doing it because you went from losing municipal elections to a sky-high approval rating after promising to resettle two to three million Syrian refugees in the area you are invading Refugees displaced by Obama's Syrian war. Um, keep that in mind whenever you hear about Turkey. Keep that in mind when people are telling you exactly, oh, this is what it is. This is what it is. It's not. Now, let's move on to like the more juicy stuff, okay? So we talked about Huber. We talked about all these other U.S. attorneys uh, that have been working on the case of this Russia uh, collusion delusion that came up. So one thing we need to know is that this Russia collusion hoax is all coming to a standstill with the General Flynn case. Okay, because it is through General Flynn that, uh, you know, in his lawsuit, basically, that we're finding out exactly how deeply embedded this is. So let's take a moment and enjoy our anthem before we get into it, because that's how beautiful America is. Through 
That's 20,000 Americans, 20,000, at least 20,000 Americans yesterday in Texas, right, standing up and coming together for our anthem. That tells you just how we're winning. That's basically what you need to understand. And we're winning through patriots. We are winning through patriots. Durham. Durham, Durham, Durham. He has everything he needs. He has testimony from the Ukrainians. He's got Miss Hood right under the pulse. You know, Comey and the rest of the clowns, Schumer, all of them. Here's where it ties into the fly on the wall in those skiffs. John Durham actually has in his possessions phones, Blackberries, which for some reason have been phased out when they don't even need towers to send messages through pin to pin. It's almost as if they don't want us to communicate without towers. <laughs> Funny, huh? So John Durham had um, has in his possession blackberries that were actually used by Misfood. Misfood is the one who started this whole thing. Right. Who started this whole thing because he met with George Papadopoulos, told him that, you know, hey, we got, you know, you know, the 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 Russians got dibs and information on Hillary Clinton. They have emails. And so uh, because they had that and because that conversation happened, they started to probe George Papadopoulos, which gave them the ability to get FISA warrants and 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 now. As General Flynn um, is undergoing court, which I told you, in the end, they will have to pull out. And remember, the U.S. attorney appointed is digging her own grave. She was appointed by President Trump, which is even more excellent because he just allows the enemy to destroy themselves. This is where the glory comes in. That's how you do it. You use your enemies to do your job, to, to, do, to do the job you want to be done. Okay? That is how you win. Kind of like my little win today. How do you use your enemies? I use my AG as the, who is, who considers me his enemy because of me pointing out the wrongdoings of his office for 20 years. Um, you know, save the children. And, you know, but they had to do what ha- they had to do because they're under the microscope. And this woman is under the microscope. This U.S. attorney that is going ahead with this lawsuit against General Flynn, who supposedly lied to Strzok. Why do we believe him when he lied about everything? And uh, nothing to do with Russia collusion. But they still adamantly want to get General Flynn. Of course they do. Right? Right, Barack Hussein Obama? Because you know exactly why you wanted him out. He knows where everything is. And there's a lot of people... I know where everything is, but don't have the clout this great general has. Mm. So here's the thing. His attorney now, Sidney Powell, amazing woman, filed a court motion on on Monday, this Monday, letting the world know that these phones actually exist and letting the world know that Misfood was not a Russian asset like Comey claimed was not a Russian asset like Clapper and Brennan will have you believe. But in fact, he was an asset of those clowns themselves, which totally annihilates their whole premise of starting this investigation because they hired him. 
money, 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 money. We got to look into amalgamated bank. You know, we need to look at how Perkins Coy moves money from amalgamated bank. We need to know how it goes to try it as bank. How can bank? We need to start looking into the banks, don't we, guys? Because obviously Miss Foot was paid. It's not like they sent them a Bank of America check, you know, or, you know, <laughs> or, or any state, um, uh, I would say a government account check, right? It all came from those banks we don't see, right? He's the guy that told, that kicked it off. Ah, but we have the Blackberries. Oh, my gosh. And do you know what those Blackberries do? They give you PIN numbers. And those PIN and SIM information that you can get, boy, oh, dear. Oh, dear, because they don't use towers. Oh, dear. So in his motion on Monday that was filed in his case, um, General Friend um, asked that evidence be produced that they have. In regards to O'Connor's lures and agents that Western intelligence tasked against him as early as 2014 to arrange uh, connections with certain Russians. Now, this article that was written by the Washington Times two days uh, yesterday talking about it uh, says that O'Connor's lures is an FBI acronym for an operation to lure a person back to the U.S. That's bogus. O'Connor's lures means um, uh, uh, out of the contingent uh, United States, so outside of the, you know, lower 40, out of the 50 states, lures people that are to attract, um, there, there are spies, okay? <laughs> like criminal informants kind of thing. That's what it means. It doesn't mean it needs to lure someone back to the U.S., okay? Let's just get that clear. So this guy that wrote this article, um, Rowan Scarborough, uh, obviously doesn't, know what he's talking about and he probably wikipedia we used wikipedia so just so you know so basically the question was uh you know we want to see the economist lures we want to see who your um covert cis for your intelligence community are your agents and that of western intelligence we want to know and so remember that general flynn headed the dia um, until Obama forced him to leave in 2014 because of the way they were fighting Islamic extremists and they weren't fighting Islamic extremists. We were funding them. We were creating them because if we create them, you know, by putting ISIS, you know, and funding ISIS and radical Al Qaeda operatives in Syria, we create a destruction of the infrastructure of Syria and that will spread. Through Iraq, it'll spread to Iran, it'll spread to Turkey, which are already radicalized. They don't need a lot of help, right? And so you create these mercenaries that are there just to do your bidding. But sometimes, you know, a mercenary goes to that of the highest price. We have to ask Erdogan what, what that price is at some point. So we have General Fund's attorney asking for this BlackBerry data. And, you know, I we have to thank Sidney Powell and General Flynn. And I run his advertisement all the time. Anything you can offer is great. Remember, they pulled his retirement. He has, he has, he's had to get rid of his home. This guy is going through hell for us. And, you know, bottom line is, uh, you know, he, let's just put it this way. 
his case gives you all the information you need to know that we are making super headway. Uh, this filing was a perfect timing for people to understand that this IG FISA report, whatever it may be, is just a report. It's an audit. You have to remember that. Uh, the IG can make recommendations, but it is simply an audit. It is Durham and all the other U.S. attorneys that have not been named that are doing the job of prosecuting. That is what you have to remember, that this is simply a report. It is simply an audit. The auditor cannot do anything but make a recommendation if he wants to, but he really can't. Um, better to stay neutral because it's just a report, and that's the way it should be. Now, um, as this progresses, this this next week is going to be very interesting, extremely inter- like so interesting on the fact that so much is going to be coming out, and you're going to see the cover ups coming one after another. Um, in regards to these subpoenas that were signed by Elijah, I'm really hoping that people put their foot down and say, "Well, I, I don't think that's an uh, that's a legal subpoena because I don't believe the person signed it." I'd really like them to put their foot down and get that done uh, for those immigration officials that they tried to get. Um, so it's it's pretty interesting uh, the way it, uh, you know, is coming together. Everything is coming out. I want you guys next week, no matter what happens, because it's going to be so crazy and it's going to move so quickly that if you stand on the moon and look down, you're going to see heat maps. You have to remember the Eastern Mediterranean is the source of the New World War. We need to remember that Brexit is a foe, but it's something, and we have to see how that pans out. We are gutting the swamp, and they are getting desperate. So the only thing you can do is pray and remember that 20,000 people and more echoed that national anthem. That should tell you everything you need to know. We're winning big time. And now that elections of 2020 are coming, states that have people like AOC, Omar, and Rashida are turning to our president for help when they realize that extremism like that isn't the right way to go. On that note, I want to wish all of you a fabulous weekend. God bless. And I'll see you all here Monday through Friday again, 12 to 2 Eastern. God bless from all of us here at Red State.